In this interview, I'm joined by Naimi Reyes, personal student and writing collaborator of best-selling author and Nahual sorcerer, Carlos Castaneda. We discuss who Castaneda was, and Nai gives a detailed history of his lineage up to the present day. We find out how Nai first met Castaneda and explore her intensive course of study and training under his personal guidance. We learn about Castaneda's writing process, including stories of Nai's collaboration with him on several best-selling books. Nai also talks on the nature of power and shares insights about the current geopolitical situation. So without further ado, Nai Mures. Nai Mures, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really great to be here. So many people will know the name Carlos Castaneda from his series of best-selling books about his training as a sorcerer under the mysterious Don Juan. Yes. So I'm curious, who was Carlos Castaneda and how did you first encounter him? So Carlos Castaneda was, you know, as you said, he's the author of 12 best-selling books about his apprenticeship with Don Juan. And really to say who Carlos is, we need to say who Don Juan is as well. Um, so Don Juan is a Yaqui Indian seer who came from Yuma, Arizona and Sonora, Mexico. And he was uh, the Nawal or the leader of a group of men and women seers, shaman seers, um, and the heir to a lineage that starts in, in Mexico and what we, and also the region that goes up into central California. So that lineage dates back more than 10,000 years. And um, Don Juan stated the goal of the, his lineage. It was a hermetic or, or, or secret um, lineage until Carlos Castaneda's time. And he said the, the goal of that lineage is freedom of perception. So it's freedom to perceive beyond the interpretations we've been taught to adapt in our daily life or freedom to follow the flow of energy in the universe. So Carlos Castaneda um, was an anthropology student at UCLA and he was interested in ethnobotany. So that was a new field at the time. So looking at the, um, the medicinal, the uses of medicinal plants in the American Southwest. And he had a professor, Clement Meehan, who urged him, even though he was a pretty relatively young student, go and go out into the field because it's disappearing before your eyes. So go out, you know, those cultures and knowledge may not be there later. And so he took, he did that. He met Don Juan, he, he was looking for a field informant and he met Don Juan at a bus station in Yuma, Yuma Arizona. And, um, Don Juan, you know, he offers to pay him $10 an hour or whatever. I'm going to pay this Indian. And he said, no, uh, I want you to pay me with your attention. And he said, um, you know, he, he was looking, you know, the Western academic approach would have been, um, let's take a Western you know, frame of mind and we'll examine this, this cultural uses of plants or these different cultures. And what Carlos said that um, he got swallowed into it. He, you know, he, what Don Juan ushered him into was a new perception of, of, of reality outside of his Western um, paradigm or cognition. And um, so he went on to write 12 books about 
um, this apprenticeship and to um, to found Clear Green and the company that teaches the workshops based on the practices that Don Juan taught him, the modern version. Um, so he calls that Tensegrity, inspired by Buckminster Fuller. Um, and the idea is, you know, Buckminster Fuller would see in nature these structures that are held together by the flexible members or the tension members. That could be a tree or a cell or anything in between. And um, the universe, the, you know, gravity being the tension um, element. And so Carlos saw this taking place also on an energetic level with movements, with um, dreaming practices, silence, life review, all of that, that, um, that creates a flexible, these practices would create a flexible integrity in your life and your awareness and a, a more efficient use of your energy. So he founded that, you know, workshop started in um, early 90s. And then eventually we've gone on to train uh, over 150 um, Tensegrity facilitators around the world. So Carlos would say, this is our, this is the arena. It's not about escaping, you know, we can get into that. that. That might be enough for now, but you know, what he's presenting, he's showing other, other possibilities and even other realities in his books. And so you can, one can start to think, okay, this is cool. You know, and when I met Carlos, I think I thought, oh, great. You know, I'm getting out of the, the game, so to speak. Um, I was a, I had finished graduate school. A, my brother, I have three brothers, um, but the brother who was, the second brother died, uh, had died two years before. And my life was, you know, my sense of security. And I, anybody who's, who's experienced something like that, your sense of security is, mine was shattered. That sense of safety and certainty about things. And so um, a couple years after that, I finished um, graduate school somehow. <laughs> I lurched and spun out through graduate school and I came to Los Angeles. I actually had an experience um, in my room you know, I was in graduate school in the Northeast and um, I had this moment where I felt this, I would call it a blue buzz of energy, a little bit like a mild, you know, the audience is listening and um, I can't put that into time frame, but it, it my, I could feel my energy fields around the body and through the body. And then I suddenly knew I was wasn't going to stay in that town you know I was in Boston and I was looking for jobs a teacher you know this and that and, and thing weird things would be happening like they would be ready to hire me and they're like oh my cousin is coming into town and we're gonna have to hire her you know but after that I knew it's time to go west uh, I had family here I came to LA within a week of coming to Los Angeles um, I could see, okay, there's the Los Angeles, you know, Times, LA Times book review. Florinda Donner is going to be 
giving a talk, and she's one of Carlos's colleagues. Um, she wrote Being and Dreaming and other books. And there she's going to be talking at the Phoenix bookstore. Yeah, that's The Witch's Dream. And she wrote uh, Shibono and Being and Dreaming. Um, by the way, I saw, you know, I met uh, Florinda and Carlos in Berkeley uh, in the 80s. And, and I just had a brief encounter, and, and that started to they were giving a talk, you know, in Berkeley. I was there for a, a undergraduate seminar. <laughs> and so here I come, scroll forward early ni 90s, and, and there's Florinda um, at the Phoenix bookstore, and she's giving a talk on being and dreaming. And I brought my a copy of an earlier version of Witch's Dream, and I'm standing in the audience, and she's talking about... Um, the recapitulation, which is the life review. She's known as a dreamer. You know, I'm ex maybe expecting her to be talking about dreams, but she's saying, if you're going to dream the way seers dream, which is with some order and direction and becoming conscious in your dreams that you are dreaming, and then there's all sorts of things um, and possibilities in one's own life, and collectively new, new things are discovered through dreaming, right? So... She's talking about being and dreaming, uh, but she's talking about the recapitulation and, and how it really relay, relied for her on, on the life review. And um, people are with, talking next to me, and I'm like, kind of like, how could you be chatting? You know? <laughs> and then she talked a little more about, um, you know, somebody, people are like, well, how, Florinda, how can we save the earth? And... She's like, the earth doesn't need saving, you do. <laughs> Her manner was very direct. And so she's like, um, you know, the earth is a sentient being. It could shake you off like a bad cold if it wanted to. It obviously doesn't yet. So let's, let's do something while we still have time we need to evolve. So we need to become conscious of our, our lives, our impact, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then... What she said is, if you when you start to gather energy through the recapitulation, through the other practices, um, you will naturally be dreaming. And she she was she was a gifted dreamer in that sense, a natural dreamer, but she had other challenges to come through. So I, you know, I'm um, glowing with happiness just to be there and be listening to this because they weren't really public. You had you know at this time and I brought, you know, got my, brought my books to be signed and I spoke to her, um, about dreaming and she asked, you know, tell me what's going on. And I told her about two dreams where, um, where I was being chased by one dream. I was being chased by someone who had dogs and it was like one leash and like probably seven dogs, very mythical, coming after me on my street, you know, uh, that were very glowing and sleek. And uh, um, I just turned and said, that's it, back off, you know. Um, and I had had a little bit of a fear of dogs that came from childhood. And they sort of took out the most of that after that dream. And then another one where spiders chasing me all the way up 
to the corner of the house and I turn and say, that's it. And the little spider looks almost like those little um, Gumby <laughs> characters. It looks surprised and it stopped bothering me and I stopped being afraid of spiders. I, I'm sure that there's more to it than being afraid of these things. But Florinda would just said, that's it. That's the whole thing that you recognize that you're in a dream, number one, and number two, that you can act. And I, uh, Florinda's, to me, I'm still working with that, right? And it's something that translates to daily life. Recognize that this is a dream, you're in a dream, that you're dreaming. There might be other dreamers on certain things, we have agreement on things, but you are one of the dreamers and that you can act. So, she said, uh, there's a talk tomorrow night at the Sisterhood Bookstore, why don't you come? I, I went to the Sisterhood Bookstore, um, and I turn, I'm looking at women who run with the wolves, and I turn around, and there's Florinda. And she said, hey, let's get your contact information. You know, Carlos has some movements, and out of my mouth, not through my brain, so that's what I'm looking for. And... Um, I realized that when I had met them earlier and started reading uh, their books, Carlos and Florinda, and then Taisha Avalar's book came out around the same time, you know, Carlos had said, um, when I speak, I'm addressing myself to your body, but I'm also addressing myself to your energy body. And that's stayed with me. It's like, this is an embodied practice. And this is not the only place where we process information or receive or store information. So the head, if you're doing this audio, I'm pointing to my head. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. I, I felt um, super excited. And then Florinda went on to give a talk about dreaming and especially how it relates to men and women. She talked about uh, the play The Lysistrata by Aristophanes. And um, she said, you know, that's a, that's a comedy. It's considered a comedy that the, the women of Sparta are going to refuse to sleep with their men unless they desist from this unnecessary war. And she said, yeah, it's a comedy, but it's not because women are, are the engine in some way. The women energetically fund the social order you know she's like we are we have the womb which is like a second brain and um so it has a lot of energetic functions in, in addition to conceiving child you know nurturing and, and giving birth and so she, she talked about that um she talked about how you know it, it for human beings we have a necessity to evolve and it key element of human evolution would be bringing the womb, awakening the womb. Um, because, you know, this is the early 90s, and she was like, we are still really at the service of the male. And she's like, that's up to us to shift that. And it's not about getting into competition with the male or trying to imitate men because we're not energetically the same, you know, evolution will be the womb has to wake up and have its own voice and work with men, not just for them or against them. Right. 
so she talked at length. She talked about how men will cone. She's like, we approach knowledge differently. That's one of the things we do differently. So she talked about sacred geometry, right? So that women, men will cone towards knowledge. And so they're going to build to a point. So there's a triangle, you know, with a point upward. Women will do the opposite. The point is at the bottom. And they're going to go from maybe a single point and expand. Um, so there's a Star of David. There's a tetrahedron. There's Metatron's cube, you know, sacred symbols. Um, but she's like, that's energetically real. So we need both of those. We, we're not complete with one or the other. But right now we've got the feminine lagging behind. And we're not going to make it if we stay that way. So um, she talked about how women need to support women, you know, and I believe that is changing. Um, you know, this was some time ago, but that um, our socialization is to really compete with each other for the man, basically. Or, um, and so I was absolutely thrilled, riveted, um, glowing, and I really felt I could track all of this. And I'm like, yes, I have it. And I thought of myself as a card-carrying feminist in the sense of I would support other women. And, you know, everything she said made total sense to me. So let's go. Let's do it. I can't wait. And um, the reality was vastly different, my idea of myself. So that begins the journey, you know, and, and I started... Um, it's, the next night I was in a studio in Santa Monica. I met um, the other females, you know, saw Carlos um, and really formally um, met uh, other female students of Don Juan, uh, Taisha Avalar, Carol Teagues, and others, and uh, started doing these movements, uh, Tensegrity movements, which help you gather. They help you tune the body. They also help you tune the electromagnetic fields around you and then the what Carlos called the energy body. So he's like, you know, the, the, the we normally think of body-mind. He's like, that's not really the dualism that we need to be thinking of. It's self, which includes the body and its energy fields, and energy body, which is another luminous electromagnetic body. And that's the body. It's also called the dreaming body. Um, so there begins the journey of learning about, um, in a very real pragmatic way, um, learning the magical paths, you know, they're called magical passes or tensegrity movements, um, starting to work with other women, um, we practice those movements day in and day out. I started the recapitulation. I wasn't super great at that, that you have to sit, concentrate, breathe. Um, can talk more about that later, but um, eventually, um, you know, I was saying, I thought I'm escaping from the, the rat race or whatever. There comes a point a couple of years uh, into it that Carla says, okay, we're going to go teach. You're going to go teach at workshops. You're going to teach this publicly. So, and then I started working with him also on his books as a 
reader and then a scribe and the whole training as well. So I think that might be a good place to pause. That's the longest intro I've ever done. <laughs> Thank you. I've never given that much detail about the story. I hope that was helpful. Yeah, it's fascinating. Totally fascinating. Um, there's lots of things that I'd like to ask about there. But first, I think, you know, when people think of ancient lineages and traditions of, of that continent, I think of the Aztecs and the Toltecs and things like that. I think it's just popularly known. Can you say a bit more about that lineage um, that you described there that the stretched back these 10,000 years, a little bit more about, um, was it associated with a particular group of people or a particular place? Or did it have a particular purpose? Don Juan is often quoted as drawing a distinction between the ancient sorcerers and their particular methods and objectives compared to uh, the sort of work that he was himself doing, for instance. So can you say a little bit more about that, the whole stretch of that lineage? Sure. Um, Carlos did not emphasize the specific detail of the history of the lineage so much as he he emphasized um, Carlos Castaneda, the, what he would call the energetic facts of the lineage. So in a very abstract sense, like how did it evolve in terms of knowledge? Uh, so your question is perfect about um, the distinction between old seers and new seers. He stopped using the word sorcerer after a while because it freaks some people out because they think it's about power over other people. Um, he said it's really about connecting with source, with about the intent of, he called, Don Juan called it the intent of infinity, the intelligent force in the universe. So that's what that word really means. It's no, it has nothing to do with trying to control other people. Um, but the old seers would get into those kind of things, practices. So just um, the magical passes and the movements that I'm talking about were discovered really, really early in this lineage by seer in states called dreaming, in the dreaming states we're talking about, and brought into waking life. So there's a very pure origin there of those. Um, and... Um, they became ritualized over time. And so more recent times they took off the ritual and sort of restored some of the abstract. So that's one line of development. Um, in terms of Aztecs and Toltecs, um, the, there is a Toltec link in Tula and the whole Toltec, um, the Toltec world, you know, the Toltecs being considered, you know, they were, they're known as really artists and um, makers of things. And they, they essentially disappeared at a certain point. Um, and, I th and Carlos would say that they went into other realms. And in, in a place that we can look at that's related to the lineage is Teotihuacan also. Um, and there's a place in Teotihuacan that, the anthropologists called the Avenue of the Dead because they actually did find fragments of bones and things like that, but they don't find entire, you know, bodies and things, things like that. So Car Don Juan told Carlos, this is, you know, the interpretation. It's really the Avenue of the Dreamers because what those seers would do would be to gaze, let's say there's a pyramid 
they would gaze at a specific part of the pyramid and really internalize and memorize so that they could close their eyes and see what they were seeing with them open of that part, their, their part of the pyramid. And you get a whole group of them and they go into dreaming states and eventually they just went into them and left. And maybe if somebody wasn't quite there, there might be a little remnant of their physical body that stayed, but their energy body, most of, all or most of their physicality would merge with the energy body and off they went. You can take a dream a world. Um, so a big turning point in the lineage, of course, is the conquest. And Carlos said that there had been a lot of conquest before the Spaniards. Um, and so the lineage itself went through many, um, many, many other conquests and they had to adapt. Um, but a big turning point is when they meet, you know, this being that they call the death defier um, in the 18th century early 18th century, I think it's 1721, there is a Nawal of the lineage, meaning uh, Nawal in this lineage refers to a leader, and it's not, a, it's not a leader, you know, by election or by anybody's human decision. It's a leader, meaning they have a configuration of energy that they've got a natural connection with the energy body. And, they, and then they've gone through, you know, intensive practice, and training as a seer um, to be able to lead others into dreaming, others into expanded awareness. And um, so there was a Nawal um, who was a sexton at a church. You know, by this time we have the Catholic Church in Mexico, and um, this being, he meets this being called the Death Defier, um, who was his whose life dates you know they don't nobody knows the time span but as someone who energetically could do something they have you know there would be a gap that starts to open when the person's life is coming towards an end and the death defier would connect with the nawals of that lineage um after this time um and keep closing the gap and was doing it somehow before that because um it's a being and i like I don't. I can't say he or she because um, I believe he was born. He's naturally a male, but it was more auspicious for him for a number of reasons to shift to female. So he literally there's a feature on the energy field that you turn it around and it, you become female. So he she um, came to this Noel and said, "I need your help. You know, I, I need help. I need your energy. Who are you?" Um, anyway, it's, it was not a, a, a lightweight encounter. Anybody in this lineage that ever encountered that being It's a very in, intense, um, <laughs> encounter with this being who ultimately is in love with life. Um, and who had a tr huge influence to just change the direction of the lineage because that's when they started to really, um, take on the practices of what we call the new seers. So there's a transition after the conquest and, and the death defier has this phrase, you know, my eyes, and who knows what the original language of the death defier was, but this phrase saying was, my eyes have walked on the helmets of the conquistadors. And, and it was said with delight. 
not because we're enjoying, you know, all the sufferings and things, but the wonder of events, you know, of witnessing these great transitions in time. And, and so that, that marked a change in the lineage and the, essentially um, they had, after the conquest, they, had, they, they were almost decimated and then they meet the death to fire and they start to regroup and build something um, that leads to this day. But they were almost decimated because they were so, they, what Carlos, just the way Carlos or Don, and Don Juan described it is these old ancient seers became so adept at dealing with what they call the inorganic world or the, what they call the second attention, the, this daily world being the first attention, that they thought it made them impervious to other people, that if they could handle, you know, what they call inorganic beings and go into all these other realms and dreaming, that it just it's just a joke dealing with people and it's like it's the opposite is what they learned the hard way with the conquest and they were almost eliminated and so they regroup and they started to form what they call you know the new seers they start to form they started what we call the art of stalking so the dreaming arts in the lineage are much much older the dreaming practices the the, the art of stalking or the art of trap energy um, has to do with dealings in the daily world. Ultimately, um, it's about stalking the self or becoming aware of the self and moving past the idea of trying to have power over others, um, moving past illusions about our, our personal importance um, becoming aware of our habits, becoming aware of our stories, becoming aware of our agendas that we might not even be conscious of. Um, that That's really a, a big turning point. And so that shifted the emphasis of the lineage and really helped to clarify it's about freedom. And so if you really, really, really want to... Um, to shift your energy, to gain strength of perception, deal with other people. That's um, part of the story of the lineage. There's apparently, I think since the, since the death to fire, it's 27 generations. And there's a list of names of all the Nawals. There were also female Nawals. Um, there's a whole story in the lineage of the, the story of men and women that, and it's also a story of in human history, right? That, but through this lineage, it's like there was a time when the, 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 the Nawals or the leaders, the chief leaders would, were women. And, you know, this thing I showed, you know, about the women will expand toward this way and the men are going this way. Well, the women are naturally what we call abstract or in you know linked to the second attention the dreaming body much more natural for them and because of that they're trying to integrate you know earth and practicality and day-to-day -day. and so what carlos said is when the women were exclusively in charge he described it they got into pits of practicalities you know that were 
And then he said, okay, so then the men, there's a not very friendly takeover by the men because the women kind of messed it up. And he said, then we get, okay, so they're very practical already by nature. So they're trying to go abstract. They really want to describe things and get into the nonlinear. So he said they went into, you know, sort of madness of abstraction that started to move away from the practical. And so now in our time, um, it's it's become shared leadership. So the last several generations of Nawals, it would really be leadership shared, you know, men and women. Um, and so I can be more specific maybe about the last four or five generations because that's there's some very specific um, things that each one found. Um, so I can take a pause and see, would that be interesting to... Yeah, I think so. Because from what I understand... Carlos's direct students were mostly, if not all, women. Like your, your generation, if you want, would that be right? Um, not. I wouldn't say they're mostly women. It's that the women were were earlier um, into teaching, and um, he said, "I can address that, and then we can look at you know the more recent history of the lineage." Um, I love that question because it speaks to, you know, all these, a lot of these other things we were talking about, because what he says is, um, what he said to us, you know, it's three women and it was three American women that were teaching in the early seminars and we would go to Mexico and they're like, why, why do you have them? Well, first the women, women, because women in one level in the social order, don't have as much to lose by dropping their agenda. They're not socialized like, hey, we're relying on you. That's changing. But um, and another way women, Florinda would say it is women, you know, nobody's counting on them to do or be anything. So they, we don't expect the same consistency for a woman. So it's not, so it's easier for them to say, yeah, I'll go teach tensegrity with you. You know, um, <laughs> I'll drop everything. And, and totally dedicate myself to this. That's easier. Um, so we did. And there were men present. It, that just came a little later for them to start teaching. That was a great moment. That was actually the Westwood Seminar, I think, was the first time we did it. We had men and women, equal number, teaching the movements. Um, but that was the reason that, that the women were, one reason women were earlier there was a little sideline about why these american women and he's like because they live in el norte they're not dreaming of going to el norte and they've already discovered that if you're caught in your self-importance it's still miserable <laughs> so they don't have this other they don't have anywhere to go so they could flip earlier you know they don't have so many fantasies in the daily world it didn't work out, you know, other social things that we would, different stories for different people, but um, that's part of it. So in this lineage, um, what's interesting about recent several generations, you can look at the development of the, of the practices we do now, uh, the magical passes and dreaming 
life review, all, all of that, started to restore its abstract nature that they had in the beginning. The recapitulation wasn't there right in the beginning, you know, dreaming and the magical passes were. Um, and that starts with a Nawal, uh, um, there was a Nawal, Elias, who used to go into dreaming and um, find, um, they had names for it, he would find these objects that would be like technologically beyond us or, or just really um, interesting, inspiring. But he, he was very, um, very abstract. He, he wanted to get to the energetic base of things rather than the surface, you know, the, the, the ritual. Um, and that starts, so he starts restoring that to the, to the magical passes. And so then there, there's a, you know, there are movements that are dedicated to the butterfly or the wolf, um, you know, other sentient forms, the tree. And they start to realize when they, they do those particular movement series, their recapitulation, they could apply that to the life review. Um, because if you step for a minute into the awareness of a butterfly, it's easier to see what you're doing in the office meeting or whatever it is, right? Um, and so that started something called the Theater of Infinity. And there was a Nawal Julian who was an actor before he became the Nawal Julian. And so he applied that his knowledge as an actor to the Theater of Infinity. It's rooted in these movements. Um, and then we can play out scenarios. We can do a lot of different things. We can actually go into, you know, the actors become dreamers in a sense. They're moving their, it's called the assemblage point or their point of orientation to reality and they can pull the, the audience with them. Um, or, you know, eventually it evolved into also we could ourselves as practitioners take a scene from our daily life, play it out, notice how we're embodying, notice how we're breathing. Like if I'm having, you know, I'm feeling left out, they're not consulting with me with a team, I can play this or whatever it is, you know, you can play the scene and how's my breath when I'm in this dialogue and what's the emotion, where's that in my body? I can play that, become conscious of it, note it, be witnessed, have other players there. Then I, if I perform the movements of the butterfly, I've got a little bit of a different view now and I can see that differently. And I can actually, with that different alignment, where I notice my breath is probably more open and I have less tension here and there, play it again, see what happens or switch apart. What date range are we talking about here when this started coming into the, the lineage? Uh, the Nawal Julian would have been, um, you know, Don Juan, they say, was born in 18... His student, Don Juan, was born in the late 19th century. So this Julian would have been born somewhere mid-19th century. So this would have gone probably late 19th, early 20th, his time. Uh, we're never given specific dates like that, but yeah, that would be the time frame. So... Um, yeah. 
Well, Don Juan, um, Don Juan really, I think one of the things that Carlos said about Don Juan, he really brings in uh, sobriety. The Noel Julian is this flamboyant actor, you know, and it's, it's part of, you, it's, you really get to see these are people that become so divested of their personal agenda that they reflect infinity, but in different ways. And what Carlos said about Don Juan, you know, he has a chapter in his book, The Active Side of Infinity. It's called Who Was Juan Matus Really? You know, and the social order would be, well, he was Yaki and he was born in this, you know, this age and he lost his parents and he was shipped off to Sonora, Mexico. And this is all true. This is, you know, but what he said is he said, if you really go to the energetic core of that question, what Don Juan became was a collection of stories that re reflected infinity. And so um, the stories, uh, Don Juan um, had, you know, stories upon stories that would illustrate um they might be his own stories or other stories, stories of other Nawals um, <clears throat> before him that would illustrate, you know, a lot of different principles. So Don Juan, you know, his, his, um, the Nawal, I guess they call it his benefactor. They don't really call it his teacher in that, in this lineage. Um, flamboyant, um, excessive personality left to his own devices he was going to die of tuberculosis from that excess he's literally in the midst of some sort of you know romantic conquest when don juan sees or, or his i think it was in a elias sees him in the field he sees energetically like he's about to die you know and it's not an accident why is he coming up upon this scene um and he shifts his assemblage point there was a the Nawal, the Nawal woman, Amalia, with him, and, um, or Talia, um, and uh, Amalia's earlier generation. And they're both just, both do these characters, you know, characters that are wild. <laughs> and Don Juan had a different temperament, a different character. So uh, Julian reflects really the play you know, that we, our lives are a play. We're all playing a part. And we play different parts at different times of our lives. We might play different parts during the day, different roles. But ultimately, it's a theater. We can't take it personally. You know, if they're not doing it our way or not recognizing our worth or whatever it is, um, that's something, that's, that's an opportunity for you to hone your awareness, to become more aware, not to get into battle with that person, because it's a play. So Julian really blink, brings that in to the lineage, and that's delight. You know, they would have um, picnics where they'd have theater shows and things like that, and, but they would be life or death situations. You know, he would he tosses Don Juan into a, a river one time so that Don, Don Juan has to his energy to not, you know, 
die down the stream of the river. So that's the Nawal Julian. I mean, um, Don Juan brings a different sobriety. He's a different story. You know, he's an Indian, an indigenous person um, who he was, you know, he was working on, on a hacienda somewhere, had become an orphan through, you know, people sort of corralling some of the, some of the Yaqui Indians and um, bringing them in, into Mexico as laborers. And he literally is, um, I think he was shot by the, the owner of the hacienda and um, un, not uneducated in the sense that, you know, he, um, and so he has a whole different, he has a whole different journey. He's not a sophisticate at the beginning, you know, like Julian. So there's a, that's a different journey. And those stories illustrate many things and they're in Carlos's books, a lot of them. Um, but he had to learn something else. And one of the big things that he really learned one of the great stories, I think, with Don Juan, he's working, you know, the Nawal Julian finds him and brings him in, starts to, he and he, one of the things the Nawal Julian does with him, he's working in this house with all these people, he doesn't know, all these strange people who are students or, you know, part of the Sears party of Julian, but I don't know if he's ever formally told that Don Juan. He just has to start doing things and and by you know helping and learning bookkeeping. He learns to read. He starts um, doing the, all these tasks. But there's this thing called the monstrous man that occasionally shows up and scares the bejesus out of Don Juan. He wants to run away. The monstrous man shows up, and uh, eventually he learns it's an inorganic being meaning of, uh, has an, a, um, doesn't have a physical form. It has an energetic form. But as he starts to review his life and stops taking things so personally and so on and does all the practices, there's one day he's walking to the edge of the property, of this whole um, property that they're all on, and he sees that this monstrous man is a transparency it's just an energy, and he leaves. And that's another story. He he has a whole thing that happens after that. But I think that's a great metaphor for a lot of things that terrorize us, that we go into absolute panic, fear mode. We imagine all sorts of terrible things. You know, we worry. And Carol Teagues, one of Carlos's um, colleagues, um, said worry you know that's worry is just a poor use of the imagination right it's a poor use in some way we could call it nightmaring you know this is going to be so hard this meeting is going to be really rough if we go in like that guess what we we see little monsters if we go in okay this we're we're just we're we're energetic beings we, we could dream things a little differently you know we could even speak to you know, before you go to the meeting, you can have conversations with people that you might need to be talking to. And of course, if you're really going to do a good meeting, you're going to actually probably actually talk to different players and parties. If you're a leader, 
You're not just going to show up and let's just throw it in the soup and work it all out, right? Um, but what there's a level before that. Like, okay, what am I sensing? Let's, I'm scanning what not what data do I have, but also energetically, I'm kind of feeling that maybe this person is a little bit um, not too happy. Ugh, we forgot to say thank you for such and such, you know, and you take care of that, or you take care of things on it on an energetic level. But you also dream. You can dream that meeting. In other words, I really see this working. You really, and I saw, you know, I know um, your colleague Michaela is talking about just getting along with people in during uh, during pandemic in close quarters. It's going to work a lot better if we look at what's working and we actually acknowledge that intentionally, not not just for five seconds. Like she's, I think she was saying, write a list. I think that that's, that's working on an energetic level. Think, start tuning in with what works with the other person, what you admire, what their gifts are, what they're doing well. And of course, I mean, it's standard wisdom, but not, we're not, we don't all do it. Right. Especially if we know somebody personally, intimately, we, we might know it for the business meeting or we might not, but when we, we get it with a partner or a family member. We we drop it all. And we're just going to. I I'm going to wait till they say something. I it's just they shouldn't have done that, you know, or whatever. Let's if you drop it, just like, hey, I really see an opening here. It's going to be a whole different experience. That's very interesting. Are those the sorts of considerations that characterized your training? I'm curious. You said you felt like you were a card carrying feminist uh, who supported women or something like this. <laughs> And then um, you discovered something quite different. So t take us back to that time then. You're entering into this relationship with Carlos Castaneda and, and Florinda and, and the other people that were assembled there. Uh, what, what was your course of study? What were the sorts of things you were encountering uh, as you entered that situation? Yeah. So a big central part of the course of study, as I mentioned, is, is the Tensegrity Movements. Um, and Carol Teagues is the one that um, suggested to Carlos to bring those out. Carlos was, you know, he's writing his books, he's giving lectures, and he said people would come to the lectures, but he wasn't seeing a lot of real change. For, you know, it might be a novelty, it might be interesting, exciting. So Carol Teagues is like, let's bring out the movements then. Let's see, you know because um, they weren't really public. And so that's kind of where I come in, is at that entry when that's happening. Um, so we were practicing, practicing, practicing. Um, I was given to practice with another um, female student. That was a huge gift at the time. Um, I thought that I was supposed to tell her what to do. I, uh, we, we're given this exquisite um, series of movements to do called the tensegrity of affection or the, you know, um, different titles for it, but it has to do with movements that will really promote getting along with others, you know, and coming from that place of care, love, affection, rather than that place of what's in it for me or prove it to me, you know, or, oh, whatever it is. So, um, we practiced day in, day out, you know, I would, sh I, um, 
this is somebody who's very organized, a natural organizer, brilliant person. Um, but I thought I was the genius and that I should, you know, really run things with her. And she, a uh, more mature practitioner than me, um, I think sometimes was amused. <laughs> she was a definitely had more forbearance. Um, uh, and sometimes would just, you know, listen as I pontificated about, because I, I was working with Carlos, you know, on a manuscript that I thought that made me the queen of Sheba, you know? Uh, and uh, to me, that's the beauty of practice. You hear, I'm sure you've heard other stories like this with other practices and lineages. Anytime we get together and we're all going to be conscious and it's, you know, love and all that, everybody agrees. And then when we get into actually interaction, we, then that's where the fun, the interesting stuff begins. And so that was a journey. And, you know, those movements themselves help to create a different kind of harmony. But it took me a long time. You know, I was raised, I worshiped my dad and my mom, I didn't get along with so well. That view changed a lot through the life review and teachers pointing things out. Most of my life review really um, took place through interaction and through ultimately, you know, as a workshop leader, you listen to other people's stories. You know, Carol Teague said, because Carlos lays out the recapitulation, you know, there's different ways to do it. And, you know, sooner or later, I'm sure be in books that everybody can read. But um, we've, the, the point is, through those interactions, I got to see what I was really up to, you know. And if we worship dad, he could do no wrong, but he's remote in my view. I can't reach him. You know, I'm looking for crumbs of attention from dad. Um and mom is like kind of annoying because she's trying to get me to be a little more timely and efficient on things and practical. I You're going to take that suitcase right into your interaction. So I'm, I'm like, this, this being is very practical, very organized. And I'm like, well, but that's secondary to this great knowledge of what Carlos is talking about. And let me explain this finer point to you. And you know, eventually that runs out of road and, uh, um, it did. And, uh, that was, uh, that was not fun for me because I had to stand down, you know, <laughs> and that's where I really had to learn. Hey, I think I can acknowledge another woman, except she's doing this. She's, her, whatever her specialties are, aren't as important as mine. I mean, that's right there, you know, fail. And so over time, over time, over time, um, I learn, uh, those are extremely valuable skills. If you're going to actually be on planet earth and, and do anything, a lot of things I was, you know, I came in a little later than she did. So I got the benefit of, other people organizing a lot of the stuff and I just walk in and say the lines. I was very good um, early days. Carlos, you know, you work with, Car you're going to teach something in a workshop. Um, and um, so I would practice with him. I actually had a typewriter. 
that he used, um, and then a, then a little, you know, computer. Um, but he would dictate, okay, this is what you're going to say about these movements or whatever. And I would learn that, and I would maybe pre present it in practice, and then he would add something the next day, and then I would learn that, and just rewriting, writing, learning, 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 learning. So I thought that I was, a, and, and my, uh, other people around me, not so much of that. So I thought that's the most wonderful thing. So I am the greatest, you know, and um, it's madness. They're doing other things, you know, that wouldn't be in my view. And so that was a journey. Carlos used to call me a genius, you know, and it drove me nuts. I would come into a class and he'd go, and now Nae here, she thinks she's a genius. And I'd be like, but I don't think I'm a genius. Einstein is a genius. I don't know physics. Why does he keep saying this? It took, he did it for at least a good solid three years. And he, he would also say, you know, stuff like, I imitate my father's voice. I would speak lower. And he would go, oh, there she is. And I'm like, when is he going to quit doing that? You know? And he's like, I'm, he'd, he would say, I'm not running you down. I'm just pointing this out. And he has his own stories. He would show up. He'd drive from Los Angeles to Mexico to meet Don Juan and the other Sears. And they would be like, hey, there's Carlos. Hey, how are you? And he'd be like, oh, finally, they're going to be, be kind of, and he'd go, and how's the carrot up your butt? You know, and he's like, ah. <laughs> so um, that's not the only way to teach. It's not the way that we, um, you know, in our time, you know, the way we w would facilitate with students and student teachers and stuff like that. But it's the way I had a little bit of that older, and, and it, as it should be, I was a lot more stubborn. Why did he keep calling you a genius for three years? What was he trying to point out? And also, why do you no longer teach in that style? Um, he would he would do that because I really I really had this stubborn and and it's I have it's something I have to watch out for. I think because I heard it and I can parrot it that I understand it number one it is a gift to be able to you know, write but that, that that's not doesn't make you a genius it's just uh, something that you can do um, it was just this uh, immovable stance that I had that I didn't even real I wasn't going to cop to it and I finally you know after a few years of it it's like hey it stays with you and I, it's it's even it's a gift that keeps on giving. I met some friends recently that heard a lecture he gave in Spanish, and he, and they said, oh yeah yeah he called you, and I said what? He's like oh la sabionda, so I, I was I get that. He's like oh god the know it all, and it's true, and so that has to be on the table. That's not all all he did. He also, you know, anytime you greet him. He's absolutely generous. He's celebrating anything that you did well. He's um, sponsoring you to go past your own limitations. I mean, I got to work with him on his books. I mean, super, super, you know, uh, gift. So, you know, but he also wasn't going to, he, if, he was going to, if you said, I really want to do this, he took you at your word and at your action. If you really were in action on this, it's not just, I, you know, 
you've got to energetically be available, then he takes you on. He's not, he doesn't, he didn't, it wasn't his purpose to leave me standing there stewing in my own self-importance. So that's why, why would we not do that now? Um, he could do that. He had a different uh, charisma. I don't think that if somebody, you know, if somebody signs up for a class or training with me, it's not necessary for me to particularly do that now because number one, we have a lot of people practicing integrity movements. There's a different agreement and that collective and, and working together on their scenes and that collective interaction tends to bring those things up to people's vision. Um, I think for me, it's, I would, I tell my own story. I let, you know, if they're telling a story, I'll give my story as an example, but um, I, I don't, I don't have that kind of clout to be able to do that and not be running someone down. But also I think it's a different model now. I think we're learning, um, you could say more feminine, but I don't know if it's a masculine feminine, um, but gentle can be quite strong too. And he would do that too. It depends who he was working with. Other people didn't need that kind of thing. I was super stubborn. So, but I think in, in particular, the group, more people practicing something in a bigger agreement means that you don't have to have that type of um, intensity. But it's good to have somebody that is, that you do check in with one-on-one, -on -one, but that's different. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it's bringing up so many questions. Did you ever meet Don Juan? No, he was, he, he left the world in 1974. And Carlos writes about that in his books. So during your time with Carlos in his lifetime, you were one of three Chakmul, fierce guardians of right. energy sites. Can you talk right. a bit about what this means and how you came to function in that role? Yeah. Um, Chakmul is a term, it means guardian of dreams. It's a guardian. Um, so that was a role in the early... Um, seminars that we were called Chakmoles, the three of us that are also in the videos. Um, in a sense, we're the guardians, we're guarding knowledge. Um, so when you go, you know, certain sites in Mexico and Tula, Yucatan, um, many places, you'll see these reclining, you know, there's statues of these reclining figures. Um, and they'll have They'll be reclining, but they'll have their head turned facing one direction or another. And the knees are often bent with the feet. And, and um, what we were t came to learn, or we were told in, in this lineage, that those ga that gazing, like some chakmoles will gaze in, toward the future, looking into what's to come. Some are looking to the past, learn, you know, keeping the record, so to speak, and learning from the past. So, and so those, ultimately, they work together. That plate on the dreaming is, it can be, um, that's the area of the womb. So for, for him, these are female warriors. And um, so guardian of dream means that we are guarding, you know, 
you could say guarding the second attention or guarding the possibility of people to dream, people to access this other part of our human heritage that we had, we put aside. Um, also guardians of just knowledge of the students of Don Juan. That configuration later opened up into a larger group um, with different, you know, energy trackers and this type of thing. Um, but those those figures are, um, you know, you can see them. You you can see them sometimes on site or in certain museums in, in Mexico and. Um, Many times you can you can sense there's they're still they're carrying specific energy from millennia, so you can directly sense into that energy. But ultimately, we all can be guardians of that of those possibilities. But it is a specific role, you know. We all have different roles, and um, I remember you know a friend who's a brilliant Vedic astrologer. She was looking at my chart and she's like, oh, you get to, you know, she came from the Buddhist tradition. So she's like, oh, oh, you live in the ashram. I envy you, you know, and I'm like, it's not a cakewalk. It's beautiful privilege, but you have to be on your toes. Every We all have our different roles, you know, and she's doing brilliant writing and um, lots of things. So does that answer your question? Question yeah, it does. That's very interesting. And so you're going through this whole training and learning the movements and so on and wrestling with or clarifying or whatever the word would be uh, with these parts of your personality that you, you learn to grow through or let go of or, or whatever. The, I'm not sure what you how. Well, this is my question, actually. Was there a sense of why one would go through such a process? Uh, you mentioned the Buddhist tradition there, which in a sense, one of the depending on which which kind of buddhist tradition the sort of point is to be you know free from suffering or something like that or for christians the point may be you know be yeah. saved or be one with god or something like this you go through uh, this sort of processes to achieve those goals was there a stated goal um, or a reason why you would undergo such a kind of melting pot of facing yourself and, and all this training yeah and and while by the way while we're doing the melting pot we get to travel the world and do all sorts of spectacular things so it's a very joyful um thing what do you mean spectacular uh, things oh yeah i mean I, I, spectacular i just mean like uh, on an as you know being on planet earth and um you get to for me the most beautiful thing about travel is learning is, is meeting the people meeting the culture or the cultures where you go and um you're talking like as you're traveling and teaching workshops all around the world having this sort of adventure that yeah, side of life yeah. yeah 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 so so that's one spectacular thing i mean that's that's a that's a major gift and you get to you know we would we we would do some musical elements to the workshops and so i get i'm sitting there i get to watch three flamenco guitar players do you know playing to the, a series of movements that changes the tone for to the culture. It's these kind of great experiences. Um, <clears throat> so the question, I'm losing the question. Um, why? What's the goal? What's the goal of, of all of this? You know. Um, so the goal 
it, it goes back to that description of what Don Juan calls freedom, you know, and it is freedom means I can do whatever I want. Not, not exactly. Right. I can just, you know, be my, I gotta be me, you know, whatever. Um, not exactly. It's the, it's the freedom, you know, if, if we accept the premise that the universe is a universe of energy, which science is certainly accepted and run with now, you know, quantum physics and all that, then the most pragmatic thing to do would be learn to perceive and follow the flow of energy. And the most impeccable thing to do, this word impeccability comes through, you know, that's Don Juan, BM, you hear other, that, that, Carlos, I think, introduced that with Don Juan. Impeccability is to do your best, you know, he'd say in a bit more. And that means to do your best, it means your best to perceive how energy flows and to follow that. And so we can see it in really simple things. Like if you're trying to go somewhere and all the cars in front of you are slow, something's up, right? Like suddenly on a route that's usually a breeze for you and you keep getting things come in your way or the opposite, you know, it's usually really tough, but now it's just, a, those, those are indications of energy. It's showing you something, follow it. Right. So I would be like, well, I, maybe I need to go home, go home or, or not. You know, if it's slow, I go home. Yep. I needed to do that. There's something I needed to do there. Whatever. Those are just, there's endless ways we could describe that, you know, in a relationship follow the flow of energy. Well, first I want to be able to, how, how's my energy? What are, what's the energy I'm bringing into the room? Right. Jill Bolte Taylor, when she was in the hospital, you know, the person who has that famous Ted talk in the book about the left brain, right brain and her stroke of insight, she started to really feel the energy people are bringing in the room. So she wanted to have a sign, please be responsible. This is Carol Teague's pointed this out for the energy you bring into the room. So that's the first, you know, what energy am I bringing in? Am I still kind of pissed off about, about something from yesterday that I'm dragging in unnecessarily? Or am I bringing in something generative, something nurturing? Can I listen? That would be one of my things. Do I, I don't have to talk, you know, on every show, right? So am I willing to do that? Please be responsible. And then am I willing to tune into the energy of the others in the room? That's practical. That's functional. That's energy is at the base, right? It's not just my ideas about the person, not just what I want them to do, not even their ideas about themselves, but what is actually happening. Is this person, for example, you know, you know, the classic thing, you probably you and Michaela talk about this. It's like somebody wants to have the conversation you know we need to talk and it happens to be 5 p.m on a friday which it's a we are actually talking at that time for you but this is different but uh, but you know it's 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 the low energy let's say it's that person's been working on something kind of challenging all day and they haven't had dinner and that's when we want to have a talk that's not following the flow of energy that's not freedom either you know it's it would be let's and ask permission and what's fun for me this is a beauty okay because i'm sure you have been or or taught or facilitated things like let's say we're gonna 
go to a power site like Stonehenge, for example. Let's just be do something well-known. There's a special energy there. If you were going to, let's say that there were no ropes around those stones, but to me you can feel the energy with a, a, a very far away. But I think you would ask permission somehow before you run into the middle of that. That's a power spot, you know? So we can learn that. So if we can learn that, there's a chance we might learn that a conversation with someone that we really care about or work with is, is also a power spot unless ask permission, you know, rather than foisting, I need to get this out now or whatever. Are we, this has to go out now, you know, whatever it is. Um, so I'll give an example with Carlos, you know, Carol Teeks points out, Hey, you know, I think it'd be really helpful if we brought those movements out. That was maybe on a Friday by Monday, he's rented his, Carlos has rented a studio. He's like, yep, he's rented. And, and we go to town on the movements and he writes a book about it and we start doing seminars. He didn't be like, you know, if he saw the wisdom of it, he went totally. He didn't hold himself back. That's actually freedom. That when, you know, if you see this as a path, you don't hold back. It doesn't mean you rush things. You don't do things before they're ready, but there's, and that's where, you know, he talks about path with heart. Um, and again, everybody will agree. Oh, path with heart. Yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. You know, me too. Um, and then are we, there's that beautiful journey of learning to let go of that hesitation. And hey, if it says, if it's yes, then it's yes. And if it's no, it's, it's no. You know? Um, but, and if you're in a decision phase, you're in a decision phase. Sometimes you have to try things on. That's another whole conversation, you know? Yeah, as you mentioned, you were Carlos Castaneda's scribe. And I believe the first book you did with him in that capacity was Art of Dreaming. Can you talk a little bit about Carlos's writing process, your role in that process, and what it was like to be involved in that work? Yeah. And that role might shift from uh, book to book or work to work. Um, with the Art of Dreaming, I was a reader and um, pointed out certain things. And what I remember about that I, I, this is maybe not exactly <clears throat> on the line, but just it's worth, he, um, he was excited, you know, he wanted to see if certain concepts were coming across. And, and so I would, you know, give feedback and one concept, and I wasn't the only person that did that. There were other of his students and colleagues. Um, and most of the things that he wrote, in fact, everything that I was part of in terms of books would circulate amongst um, his colleagues and some of his students. And then it, I would take that and collate and go through with him and put in, put together the next version. It was a great process. Uh, but the earliest, the art of dreaming, what stands out to me is that what came across and he was delighted that it came across is the distinction between, um, you know, the mind and what the mind does and thought, because for him there's thought is something that comes from infinity. So we all, we might have that experience. We're working on something, and then we 
I turn and go to the garden or get in the shower and suddenly it comes, you know, and that's, he would say that's thought. Um, um, and even that we are thoughts, thought by infinity and time itself, all that stuff. So really looking at what is thought and, and um, that would tie in, you know, to dreaming because it's, that's part of the art of dreaming is am I able to receive either in the waking dream dreams, there's multiple states we can be in and waking or in the sleeping dreams to receive, you know, and the classic stories, Einstein would get his, some of his clarity on his theories when he's asleep, having to dream, you know, or Mozart here, um, the voice of the angels, that type of thing. Um, so that, um, that was the process on that one, that book. And then, uh, um, he put out a lot of material. He was on the internet in 1996. He was very excited when the internet showed up because that meant he was so excited because he now had a fluid form to work in. He could, things could be, there's not a lag time instantaneous. I can, so he would be putting out blogs and, and announcements, descriptions of workshops um, that would influence get, you know, and those, the, that material would go into his later books as well, but he was delighted that he could go out. And so I would be the scribe for that. And it'd be like, and then we, okay, copy edit it, maybe circulate it, get it there and okay, send it out, you know, and it's out that day. Um, and then he has, some, then that sending that out, that would be out, you know, out, out not on his plate in, in a certain sense and then another reflection would come and he could send that out you know and so that's something we take for granted now but it's such a gift that we have so a lot of those that type of material and, and the delight with that for me is he put out a schedule a very detailed schedule with detailed titles of lectures and the series that we're going to do and who's going to do it and then something would shift and he would Said that, and he would say, subject to change, he'd send out another one. And that's how he would develop, you know, programs and develop work. So I got to be, a, you know, a front row seat with that development. And then, you know, in the last year of his life, three books came out. Um, Active Side of Infinity, Magical Passes, Wheel of Time. Um, Wheel of Time was a collection of quotations from his first eight books. Um, that he published, you know, with Simon and Schuster. And that was a process, you know, there was a team that started to gather quotations. He's doing it, everybody else, you know, and then we put it together and we start to, we go through it, you know, I've got, okay, I've got this, you compile it and we start to go through and sift and discern. And then I got to witness, you know, and, and other colleagues of mine, um, you know, how he started to see through going through the quotations from his first eight books, he said, I saw the wheel of time at play. And he wrote about that, but it was a real wonder to witness, witness. I can't say I understood that, you know, he's at a way more conscious place. I'm this little kid in a way, you know, um, putting it all together and making it clear and, um, you know, the copy and stuff like that. 
so that was something to witness is is and he wrote and then he started to write he he said okay i'm going to write a commentary on each chapter because he could see the distillation of what this book told him and this one and this one he got to recapitulate his own journey you know as an author and uh, as a nawal um active side of infinity he was doing um and and a little bit about the process on that what that book is he described it as the memorable events of his life his his life um don juan said you know every and that was the beginning of the practice they call the recapitulation is they'd have the students start to remember and recount to the teacher what they learned in their shamanistic training and then they said okay this is very valuable we're gonna gather it. let's start to extend it to your life before you started this and keep it going through your life just keep at the end of the day check in what happened and what can i shift tomorrow you know um so that's so those are his pers his stories that reflect infinity that's his album of stories that was something to be part of but the process with that some of what i can say about it he talked about something he called readers of infinity, that there's this different vibrational, the different ways that we can connect with infinity. We might hear, see, touch, multi-sensory um, ways that we are uh, different ones of us see energy. It's not just visual, right? And they're sensing it. So it doesn't always have to be the way the other person. So anyhow, he's part of the process with that is he would go into what he called the pomegranate ray and see text coming to him, he like Star Wars, you know, long time ago in a galaxy far, and he put that in the first video. I think that's a, a first video we did, that's an emblem to that. He did that text, you know, that, that scroll with the white text in infinity. But he would see it, and um, sometimes he would dictate from that place. So you're going into an altered state with him um, into a dreaming state. So it was very blissful, you know, sometimes like very luminous. Um, the grace and ease would always be part of that. If I ever got into sticking or I came in with a mood, it didn't work. You have to be open. You have to be available. Um, so, and then he would lay things out, I, read it out loud or I read it back. There's that's a, and you can hear you hear that with writers too. If you really want to edit something, you read it out loud, right? Um, he might have somebody read the chapter at a workshop or something, and then he would get new reflections. He would also print the whole once he had a work, he he'd print it out and put it on a board that he had polished. You know, he might have found it somewhere, and he polished it and he put it on a board. He's like offering it to infinity. Here's this. Here it is, and the reflections would come in. Either he's in the garden or he's asleep dreaming, and then he would come in and he would have new things to dictate, and we write those, and he would say, take that paragraph and move it over here or hold it, you know, or get rid of it. I would, I would not want to delete anything because this is, you know, very refined writing, not refined, you know, refined energetically, you know, you know what I'm saying, very um, conscious beautiful and he'd be like we can let that go and I'd, i didn't want to delete a paragraph rarely did he actually delete 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 but he would be like hey you know and he would say to me we are not writers are we 
I understood what he meant because my identity before was I'm going to be a writer. But I understood. He's like, he didn't think of himself as a writer. He did it as an act of dreaming. Don Juan said, let's, I know you have time concerns, so I'll wrap up here. It's like, well, what we can do if, if you're available tomorrow, like we were discussing, we could just pick it up tomorrow at the same place and I'll just splice them together and it'll just be one episode. Okay. Cool. Perfect. Part two with Naeem Ures. I was going to ask you about that, actually, this ability to see things. I'm curious if you developed or trained in seeing people or seeing, reading people, you could say, and what sorts of things you could perceive about somebody with your training. It absolutely is. And the whole, um, what's the word? The whole uh push or point or purpose you know is that we can all do that so it's about you know that's why we call it you know if you're leading something you're a facilitator um we don't even call it you know teaching so to speak because it's it's really about cultivating the inner seer of the of the person that you're working with in that respect with a student um Inner seer being that part of us, you know, that is linked to the to the energy body, the dreaming body, and it's not really the part of us that's linked to the dreamy body. It's the coming together of dreaming body and self, you know, which includes physical body. Because sometimes we, um, you know, it's idea. Okay, I, it's all about the energy body. No, it's about the, that convergence. So, you know we talked a little bit about how different um, different people will, will perceive in different ways. And in terms of our training, um, it will just be part of perceiving energy is that you will feel people and feel others. And I'll preface it with, you know, something that um, Carlos wrote about, you know, when he first saw energy directly on his own without sort of Don Juan's help, you know, riding on his energy. He was at UCLA walking from Haynes Hall to the cafeteria and he suddenly started seeing people as luminous spheres of energy and he started to see all these energetic features and he sat down on the steps and um, he realized he'd been seeing doing this all along but some part of him had been filtering it out um, so one of the ways to me that we wake up that capacity and that we're taught to do that is to look at all those places, those times in your lives where you have to make a decision and there's something nonlinear that came in and informed you in some way. And it can be just really simple. I'm not going to make that. I'm not going to go left right now. I'm not going to go down that, that road. I'm, I'm going to go this way or don't say that to this person just this moment. And some of it is common sense, but some of it is, it's that other layer. And to me, we apprehend it with our own body and our own energy fields, you know, fields can sense fields. And um, so me personally, it's more of a kinesthetic sense and it will be, you know, sometimes I will get very often I'll get chills and tingles and it'll be sometimes, you know, arms, sometimes legs, sometimes it's 
full, you know, full body. Um, and that tells me there's an alignment. To me, that's alignment. That's alignment of the energetic self and the physical self. And um, it tells me pay attention. I mean, there's so many layers to that, too. It's, it's um, as you get to know yourself and you get to know your patterns, less of your attention is on defending yourself. So you've got that extra energy to perceive energy. So it happens naturally through the recapitulation, through reviewing your life. Also just breathing, breath work, or just remembering, am I breathing right now? A lot of times when we're learning something new, we stop breathing. Or if there's something highly technical or focused, the breath stops. Can, can I keep the breath going through this? Or if there's a challenging conversation, we stop breathing. If we keep the breathing going, less of the system is occupied with survival, right? And we can actually bring in new inspiration. And on another level, um, there's the suggestion that the, um, the way I heard it was the angels put information on the molecules of air, but it is like the universe. It's there. If we can exhale, then we can inhale, right? And get inspiration. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you've had the experience, um, the phone's ringing, you know who it is, and it's not because they said they're calling at 10 and it's 10. You can feel the energy on it. Oh, that ring's really intense. Oh, that's a really, you know, there's butterflies on that one. That's really sweet. You know, you can feel the energy of it. Um, so there's that layer of it. And then there's also, you can go deeper into um, sensing into the whole field of someone and scanning and so when, when I am working one-on-one -on -one with someone and they are um, well it doesn't have to be because they're working on their physical health we work with the whole being right so it could be we're even working on a book or a story but I really believe we can all do this and it's just practice too just dive into the water and practice with a friend right and scan and there you can see a lot of things and I always get verification and it's not about me being the wizard and the person needs to call me now, you know, a hundred times. They absolutely don't and they can do it, you know, um, but it can yield a lot of really helpful information and save a lot of time um, for everybody. Can you think of an example of, of something you've picked up that's saved time or something like that? I'm not, I have, takes me a minute because to me, when information comes through, I don't always hold on to it. It's just like, it's okay. So I'm in that state quite a bit. I mean, you know, the temptation is, okay, I'm going to scan you because we're here right now, but um, <laughs> that's immediate. That's here. But if I think about it, let's see the last person. I don't remember the last person that I did this with. It was recent. I just don't remember. Um, ah, it was actually a family member. Okay. So I'll spare you right now, but I um, was scanning in, um, you know, I had a family member, um, I, I don't want to, you know, get too, and 
a lot of other things going on at the same time and it was really overwhelming and I said well hey would how about if we do this and she's like anything anything that you can do and um so we start tuning in and um I tune into one of the kids and I don't she hasn't really told me that much that's going on and um I'm like okay this one's really 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 mad at you right now and it's not one that would typically be like that because I can feel the fiery energy you can just sense into it if you if you focus and uh she told me the whole story of how she's really mad at her right now because of this and this and this and this and other reasons that are unknown and that's just one example we kind of scanned everybody in the family and we set the intent to clean the energy fields if there's permission since it's a family member i don't have to ask permissions a family member's given me permission if these were people i didn't know i wouldn't be going into their fields without permission at least on an energetic level but if i can't get that clear i have to ask the person but um so there's another example of we ask permission um but that opens things up you know when you have that permission too so it was pretty accurate on everybody what was going on um and again it wasn't things that she was really telling me on a daily basis and it was hopefully helped cool the waters a little bit and she didn't feel so alone and things were validated you know, um, so that's that's a good example. You've been spared, unless you want to be scanned. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. No, I think that illustrates the point. People are going to be on a cliffhanger <laughs> with all this stuff from your work, oh, yes. times described. So, um, wh yeah. why don't we pick up where we left off then? Um, when what yeah. you were discussing there. So, um, Carlos didn't think of himself as a writer. He didn't have that identity. I'm I'm a writer. He that's the last thing that he, you know he thought he'd be doing. So um, Don Juan asked him to write um, his books as an exercise because he was took notes. That was one of his signatures, so to speak. And there's all these stories in his books about how much laughter Don Hinaro and Don Juan and the two seers that he was around a lot in those earlier books that would just, you know, enjoy how Carlos had to take notes, the academic, you know, and he'd be scribbling and jokes about what is he doing and all this kind of stuff. And um, then he, he also became obsessive about guarding those notes and what's going to happen to them if something happens to me. And Carlos would tell stories. He'd have a vault with, you know, sealed, you know, vault with, codes and a friend that if this happens then you sh should do you know all of these elaborate measures and Don Juan was like no this is too obsessive you're too morbid um, we gotta lighten up and um, he said you know why don't you write a book and Carlos is like but I'm not a writer and, he, and Don Juan's like well you could write a crummy book and Don Juan's Carlos is like well okay can't yeah i can do that <laughs> so he and he said he started to he had all these notes about yaki indian you know it's not a yaki lineage per se that don juan is from but you let it's where whatever you're being you know he he certainly let the that the yaki culture inform what he did you know and he's Don, Carlos had t notes upon notes about, 
about Yaki lineage and culture and all sorts of history and all that. And so he's, he's, you know, it, he went through the process to distill what is this book. And that became the teachings of Don Juan. So, and it's mostly what, what are the real abstract lessons that I learn, you know? So when he, when it would be time to delete something, you know, we are not writers, are we? And I have no, we're not writers. Um, and he's like, we don't have to hold on to every little thing we wrote just because it came out of our own little hands, do we? I was like, no, we don't. But I wanted to with his, most of it. There was, he, he didn't have that much to delete, really. But um, it's about that, that idea of the preciousness, you know, and that evolved in my training. Um, at the end of Car toward the end of Carlos's time, you would occasionally have me just draft up something. And then you read, I read it to him. And, and he would listen, and then he, you could feel him scan it. He would energetically scan it, and he'd go, okay, it's finished, you know? And then I have that experience after that, um, more writing on a team, and Carlos's colleague, Carol Teagues, she's, she didn't work like Carlos. She wasn't going... She would give frameworks, you know, and you go work on that, and you work with a team... And you can't be so attached, right? And I know people do this in a lot of places, a lot of ways. But you have to learn to let go of this is my beautiful writing or this is my idea and, and energy will dictate if you listen. And sometimes you got, you know, you got to really acquiesce. So that early training about, you know, we, we don't hold on to every little thing was very helpful. And there would be times you know, where I would hold on to every little thing and other times where I let it go. And when you let go, sometimes your, your thing comes back or something a lot better comes in. So, and, you know, I also had the privilege, um, sometimes that evolved into, you know, we were teaching workshops. Um, I don't know, I guess eight workshops a year or so. And um, most of them would be new topics, and we'd have well, like a talk, like uh, you know Teo Alfaro. Teo gave, for example, a talk about um, part of his life and how he got onto his pa his path with heart. You know, working with wolves and um, under the guidance of Carol Teagues or one of my colleagues, um, Renata Merez, I would be sort of the agent of helping that person who in the workshop is going to present their story as a teaching story to, to sort of elucidate the themes that we were working on in the workshop. And um, so it's developmental. You call that in the editing world, developmental editing, but we do it with magical passes, you know, breath, breathing. Then you go look at the story again. Um, and, you know, that was a great process too, because you have to, if you're going to help someone else, then you have to go really basically it's your call to go look at those same issues yourself and also looking at who's the audience and which way do we want to go with a story that will be helpful for them and, and a lot of great layers. But I, I really enjoyed that. The <laughs> I have this experience that I was helping, um, 
somebody else on a talk. Pretty good writer, really, really intelligent person. You know, like he was acupuncturist and a whole bunch of other things, um, Feldenkrais person and all this. And uh, I remember he did his second draft pretty good. And I was like, okay, now we got to go look at these other layers of this story. What about that? You've told your part. Now let's imagine into the other person involved and let's, let's see. And why don't you do some breathing around that and come back if we could fill in what this person might've been feeling in that story. And they said, okay, and they give it back to me. And I said, all right, great. And now, so this, there, there's three or four other drafts and the person was really surprised. And I'm like, dude, you know, we did 47 drafts for one announcement that we did one time because it's a, it's a process. It was a workshop. The 47 drafts that I remember was a workshop announcement and, and you're stating your blueprint for the event. And it's not only that event, it's what you're, you know, certain things you'll do afterwards. And it's also a process of breaking through in terms of awareness. So it's not just about writing. Um, you know, the venue is going to be here and so on. And here's the catchy title. It's, it's, it's a blueprint. And the, another aspect is once you write it and when you start working on it, all the related issues will come up. If the issue is abundance, oh boy, all the issues come up. If the issue is gender and sexuality, creativity, that link, those issues would come up or what you name it. And then when the announcement goes out, a whole nother layer starts coming in, right? People, other people with their stories, or you start feeling into them. And so there's all these different layers that it evolved into. And then for me personally, also now facilitating people to write their stories, tell their stories or their music, their stories through music. To me, those are stories too, um, or books. And you have the experience. It's like, <clears throat> um, Hey, you know, I notice every time that you talk about your sister, um, that we talk about how she, uh, is totally like self-absorbed and just, you know, ignores you or has some kind of smart remark to make. <clears throat> In other words, like we can write our stories and be sort of one dimensional about other characters. That's one style. The other style is we're very elaborate about the flaws of the other people in a memoir, you know, but we don't know too much about our own, but it's really the same thing, which is, Hey, okay, well, why don't we do some review around, let's take a scene with your sister and let's check out how we're embodying our response, right? And do some movement, do some breathing. And it's like, Oh, well, that, that kid actually was separated from our, you know, our father earlier than I was and has a lot of the behaviors could be traced to that or whatever. We're not psychoanalyzing, but there's a part of the picture we left out or I was always teasing him for a certain time or her or whoever it is, you know? And so they retreated. There's a little, there's something missing if we, if we one dimensionalize somebody. So it evolved into that type of thing. Um, but with Carlos, it was, he had a lot of joy, a lot of fun. 
um, a lot of, um, you know, concentration. Nobody could keep up with Carlos. This is what Florinda said. She was right. There was all the female students around and then the others of us that are teaching in seminars and he would work, you know, with somebody for a couple hours and then that person goes and um, integrates that while somebody else is doing another project and he's, he'll stop and rest, but because, you know, he's not, he had tremendous energy and he really wasn't thinking about himself. So there was a pretty limitless. So anyhow, um, I'm just trying to see if there's anything else I want to say about writing or if you have any other questions related to that. Cause I know, um, I mean, as writers, we are channels in some way and you'll hear this, anybody talking about the creative process. It's about getting out. Of, you know, some people will say, get out of your own way or other people will talk about, you know, the muses or the genie or the angels or whatever it is. Um, and for Carlos, I mean, he, we talked about this pomegranate ray, you know, he called it readers of infinity. He's really reading infinity and tr transmitting it. He'll transmit it differently than you will, or I will, or another person. Um, but that's really, and I think that's what, who we are as artists in this time as messengers. And he would say, if I don't deliver the message, it might be filtered a little differently through somebody, but somebody else will, you know, there are things that's like thought that's in the air. It's in the, there's times for certain thoughts, you know? And so what a seer can do, you can pull thought, pull a strand of thought. He would do that. We have movements, you know, you do that. You're like pulling a thread, pull it down. And sometimes um, he would, uh, he, and I witnessed this too with some of the my peers, but if you need to read something for men, apparently, and I, this is not hard and fast rules or rigid. It's things to try out ourselves, but it seems to be a tendency that men can take a book, put it under the pillow or put it by the nightstand. And if you have that intent, just absorb it overnight. The female, the women, female energy is more specific. And so I've had the experience of like, I'm reading some pages on a book, but I'm reading it like it's in real time. And that's really a little bit more how the female, so he would say, it's not really that helpful. You might as well just read it, <laughs> you know? for women, but the men can drink it, you know? And so if you have a lot of study to do or a lot of information to absorb, put it there. Um, Florinda Donner Grau in her book, Being and Dreaming, talks about how she would write the college paper, you know, or the academic papers. And then later, you know, she wrote three books, but you do all your work, you organize it. So it's not just, I sit down and then discoveries about shamanism come to me you have to be in the flow of that of that topic and that energy and asking the questions right but she so she would do her paper have it do her best and then lay it out on the table and then she would dream the order of it and then the other aspect is you've got to capture that don't don't take it for granted don't be complacent so when she dreamt that order her her teacher 
Florinda Matus was like, okay, get it, write it down, go now, 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 not tomorrow, not in an hour, you know, now. So it's kind of parallel to me, Elizabeth Gilbert, when she talks about the creative process and she talks about a poet, I don't remember the name of the poet, but that the poems would come to her and she was like, you have to run after them. She's out walking in the field. She doesn't have her notebook and a poem's coming and it's like going away. So she runs after it and literally grabs it by the tail after she gets her notebook, like writes it backwards, you know. I think another important part of the lineage story, I suppose, is Carlos Castaneda's death in 1998. And for such a person who is such a central figure in your life, from your point of view, uh, can you talk a bit about that time and uh, what, what happened and what changed for you? I, you know, of course, I wasn't... Uh, I, I understood. I, I, Of course, I wanted him... Uh, to be there forever, to be in this form. Um, but that's kind of selfish, what we do sometimes, you know, it's like, stay here for me. And what I came to understand, he stretched his time on Earth. He had that, I think we have, you know, we have options of when we can, there's windows. He wanted to um, create a practical um, access to these possibilities for people. And he, I don't think he felt, you know, in 1991, he's pointing, he had gone to Mexico and he talked about like it was a blue energy that was starting to take him and he jumps into the water. He, I think he was in a hotel room in Mexico or something and he's showing me his toe that's burned. It's got a burnt, you know, and he's like, I held it off and he's, <laughs> he doesn't do that gesture, but he's looking at me and he's. Say, he would say, you know, uh, you're not, you may not be getting this consciously now, but it's going in there. And I, I, I don't know what he's talking about. It just, it was very anxiety provoking for me that he's talking about leaving as I'm arriving, you know, in my, I'm like, I thought this was going to be Shangri-La for a long time. And um, now I can see, you know, he's, he's showing me I'm leaving, I'm holding it out. We don't have a lot of time to mess around. I mean, you tell it like it is, you know. Um, so he stretched out his time specifically to bring out, you know, the practical tools, the tensegrity tools. Of, you know, it starts with movement. Then they learn, okay, we can do movement that helps people focus, concentrate, better vitality. And then there's a whole, we've got to bring in other elements because people then will start be getting pride and fighting over movement. So you got to start to recapitulate and, Carol Teagues took over that evolution of you got to actually start doing your life review and stuff. But with Carlos passing, I mean, um, at the time it was, you know, um, a people have different reactions and there start to be people that were really actually personally offended, which I makes me smile now. But at the time, I mean, they're, you know, raise a lot of, hell um it's not personal um you know he uncertainty comes in and also the need to become effective and efficient and I, and I also found the ability to make certain decisions or ask certain questions because I had to 
you're put in a different level. Uh, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was on the front lines, but I had to start to work more directly with Carol Teagues, who was the one, one of the four students that stayed with um, those of us that were engaged in that at the time. And to start to incorporate in a way the feminine side of this knowledge, you know, Carlos, he's dealing with the paradigm of the warrior's way, a very masculine paradigm. And the way we did the movements before he passes is very almost militant, you know, fierce guardians and all that. And I find out later, Carol Tease is like, that's because that was the mood of you guys, you know, that's, that was your mood. And we start to do things with a different intensity. You can, if you're going to do something, you know, <laughs> that's the, the mood. And I'm not laughing. That was, that's powerful energy. We could also feel that ball of energy that we're dealing with and place it. And those are both very valid ways to do it. And then ultimately you find an integration. So it's a, it was a whole experience and it's still going on, right? Of you have this intensive training with a more masculine approach. The warrior's way, we stop the internal dialogue by you tell it to stop, you know, those kind of. Um, and then with Carol Teagues, who in, in some ways is the counterpart, feminine counterpart that um, we do it a different way and more practical and more, um, it's the same energy, but in a way done differently. So we're going to look at what is in that internal dialogue, write it down, share it with other people, I'll eventually probably laugh about it. Notice the repetition. Maybe we, when you're younger, you do it every day for a while and you start to notice you are starting to be it's starting to become drivel you know carlos would say we're some of the ways we approach do things are senile the repetition that we allow and you start to see that when you're and and so that's just one example of many but um and also adaptation because here's the fun too this is another aspect of you know i thought i was a card carrying feminist and i only say this because i think this there might be others who identify um yes i can support a woman carol's coming in and, and carlos would say in the in the lineage you know the feminine is innovation we all have feminine inside it doesn't mean women innovate and men don't you know and men come in and map out the territory but the feminine element will innovate find the new place that's dreaming they find the new even world over there and then the the male male energy or the stalking energy will come in and organize that play that new map out the terrain so carol is very innovative in a sense but what i find out is you know a lot of things that carlos was doing he's doing in concert with her and florinda and taisha but carlos said it so it's the word of the male authority and so i think we think that i thought that was only him you know, saying that, and that Carol is saying something different now. It's like, no, she's following energy, and you know what? We see people are arguing over movements, so it takes us only so far. Now we need to sit and actually 
take a scene in our life and breathe the energy back from it, breathe back our judgments, release any. We sit down and do that in the workshop. Okay, that helped, but we can't concentrate that much. And we also need a witness. And now we're going to do it. And, and that's just completely coming out of the same line. It's not Carlos or Carol. I had to go through that. And, you know, she would say something differently. And I would say, well, but Carlos said, you know, or, and I thought it was super fluid, you know, uh, and she would point out, well, yeah, you do great on certain things, but, you know, you're holding on to the word. And this is what Carlos, Carlos experienced that himself, his own um, writing. He would see like the famous book, Journey to Ixlan, you know, that's got some of the famous things that you'll still hear, hear people quote, you know, D teachings of Don Juan has the path with heart. You'll hear that everywhere there's a lot more in there but that's a great thing right path with heart uh journey to ixalan nobody ever got weird with path with heart in terms of being really intellectual and jargony because doesn't lend itself to that but stuff like using death as your advisor or erasing personal history you know um or stalking stopping the world all those terms come in there and you would have people coming to Carlos, you know, using this stuff like jargon, like it's, it's going to stay fixed in stone. And he's like, no, no, I didn't write these books to fix anything in stone. It's just to give a, a presentation of what is available in the moment that might help us wake up. And that's going to continue to change and evolve. And that's what, you know, it's a live energy moves. It changes. And he would say it reverses itself. And we have to be able to follow that. So a female leader, absolutely love, adore Carol Teeks and Carlos. I still had to make adjustments of my, well, but it's written in a book over here. And you still, I still encounter people who I love, who've been to workshops for more than a decade, maybe two. And there we present different ways to review your life and we practice them intensely, we write letters about it, we have trainings, you have on and on and on, and they'll go back and say, okay, but when are we going to recapitulate? Meaning the way it was printed in a book 30 years ago by Carlos. So that journey, I can say firsthand, you know, it's about you got to let go of, 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 don't make sake, don't, don't, what, how do I do this? Yeah, just don't get fixated. That's not really following energy. You can have those as reference points and it's, treat it with great respect, but don't fixate because otherwise you're only seeing, you're probably not seeing the full dimension of anything that you fixate on. Like, no, this is the way we say this. This is the way we do this, you know? You know, I don't know if, you, if you're if you willing to talk about this, um, but I'll ask you about it. And if you don't want to talk about it, then we just don't. Around the time Carlos died in 1998, several of your teachers and colleagues disappeared. And that, I think, has been, in terms of the story of the lineage, quite a notable point. I'm wondering what you can say about that. I, you know, that for me, that's old. It's kind of, I did, I literally did an interview probably five years ago that it's out there. It's not huge, but at least probably 40, 50,000 people have watched it. And I kind of, I think I'm kind of done. I'm happy to answer anything. I just don't know about broadcast. Well, I think you have answered it, actually. You've, you've said what you've said there. We can move on. Of course, Carlos Castaneda's books, both the ones that you were involved with and 
the ones prior were best-selling and extremely influential. And I think often with extremely influential people or extremely influential ideas, they become so influential that people uh, become so accustomed to them or they become so perennial that one forgets where they come from. It just seems like they've always been around, especially as the years have gone by. And and Carlos died, what, 22 years ago now. So that's a while. So I'm curious what you think, you know, when you look around and you see people doing things and you see his influence, by by his influence, what I mean by that is the influence of, of the ideas, of the books, of the work that you did. I'm curious, you know, what do you think are some of those things that really influence people, uh, perhaps even so much so that we don't even remember where they came from. And, and how do you see the sort of ripples of that appearing in the world today? That's a great question. Um, so there's, uh, there's a lot of influence. Um, and sometimes you see it openly acknowledged, like Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, that would openly acknowledge, you know. And um, I love that because it creates a bridge, even if it's very subtle, it creates a bridge. Um, so I went and read, you know, a certain amount of what Deepak had to say. I already was reading Wayne Dyer just because of that. And it really opened a lot. It it sort of illustrated in two directions, you know, Um, I would say the path with heart is one of the biggest things that you'll, you know, people title their books with that. And it's comes from Don Juan and the teachings of Don Juan, you know, any path is something like any path is one of a million paths. Um, And it actually doesn't matter if you follow the one that you love or, or you don't, you might end up in the same place, but why not follow a joyful path, you know, a path with heart. And he goes, Don Juan's like, that's what I'm doing. And I think it's something like there I travel breathlessly, you know? Um, so it's, it's, he also talks about it. You know, we don't have to work at liking it. I think that's a, a great guideline for human beings. I think that's, something that you'll hear referred to either directly or indirectly a lot. Um, Other ones that were very popular, I don't know what the influence is or, you know, the whole idea of um, one big one was using death as your advisor. And I think it's not going to be as popular as path with heart for obvious reasons, right? Especially in the United States, we don't like to talk about death. I think I can say that. Um, but I think that that's been influential that, we, you know, <clears throat> Dr. Phil, you know, you're burning daylight. I don't know if that's directly from Carlos Castaneda. It's going to be from any wisdom tradition, right? That we are temporary in this form. Um, for Carlos, it's the basis of our power, really. If we want to talk about what is power, you know, we talked earlier about power spot, you know, power being the ability to connect with a greater force than ourselves, you know, with infinity, with the intent of infinity, intent being the intelligent aspect of the universe, of, of the infinite. 
Um, so that informs us, you know, and the way they would say, you know, your death is stalking you. Um, and if you aren't sure whether it's your time, you can turn to the left and your death will tell you. Um, one influence that is interesting, he, Carlos was, um, he didn't calculate for that when he's telling about his shamanic journeys, you know, via medicinal plants that influenced a whole generation of people. He was trying to show at the outset, he's trying, he's just trying to research. What is that? You know, what's, there's obviously a different cultural approach entirely to plant these plants. You know, they're, they're conscious, they're sentient. They're actually can guide you. Um, he was concerned when he saw people thought, okay, let's, we gotta, now we're just going to go find some mushrooms and trip out that you did get some of that and maybe a lot of it. And that was not the message, you know, cause with him, what he wrote is like, I did this with Don Juan. It was in, and he had, there had to be an energetic opening for it. It's not just somebody's personal idea. Um, he did pursue it and it informed him a lot, but what the plants told him basically what the journey at the end of that book is, this is our world. We are men, you know, we are human beings and, and this is our world to live in and explore. Um, so really the, the point isn't about um, continually being in an altered state in that sense. We can be in an all, we can be here with a shift of our perception, we, you know, a shift of the way we do it. Um, and you can travel, but it's just like when you travel outside your, you're away from home, then you know home better. And that's the purpose, is to see the wonder here. Um, and so well, the other thing, another thing Carlos said is that those things, they, certain substances will damage your liver, your body. And it was a trade-off. Don Juan was, he said, I only had a certain amount of time. And I have this Western academic who's pretty fixed in his mindset of we've got to do rational only and um, rational thinking is the only thing that, that has value. And he was also raised by his grandparents. And so in terms of energy, you know, children imitate their caregivers and they will go to what he called the assemblage point or the point, the, the energy configuration of those parents. And so the elders, a lot of times they're their assemblage point, their point, their the point of orientation to reality is fixed. So he had an extra challenge there, you know, with Carlos. And he said, so I only have a certain amount of time to impart the whole of my lineage to you, the essence of the de development of this lineage. So we got to, we're going to have to take some extreme measures. And it was with Carlos only. It's not a training that was, that the other students did. And it's not a training that we did. Um, that being said, I became very rigid about, you know, there's a whole generation now of people taking their journeys and I'm like, you got, you know, that's like shortcuts and blah, blah, blah. Well, I can't judge it because guess what? We do need some maybe drastic measure, not drastic. Maybe that's not the right word, but we do need some help to shift our view 
collectively. It's we don't have that much time, and we're right in the middle of the the, the alarm bells went off. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of a huge change, and we need to adapt and we need to evolve. It's not something that I um, at this time you know work in, but it had a great influence, and it did let people know there's a different culture and a different world and a different approach um, to these plants. Um, that was a big influence of impeccability. You see it everywhere. And, and, um, people don't know that it comes through Don Juan. So you'll hear, you know, different things about impeccability, especially with your word. Um, and one of the female students at Don Juan, you know, I would, I would be like, that's the, you know, sometimes you see people kind of lifting without crediting, and, I, and it, she'd be like, some paths are inspired by other paths, you know? So um, that, that's not a bad, you know, distillation, one of the, the idea, be impeccable with your word. Words have, that is part of Carlos's um, Don Juan, you know, words have power. And... Um, That, that lineage, you know, it's a very ancient practice. Part of the art of dreaming is that they deal with these beings called the inorganic beings. I think that's something that also was influential. But that it, in the world of the inorganics, your word is final. They don't take, you know, so it's also something really to, to look at here in this world. You know, don't give your word lightly. And how you use language is how you're, that's another aspect of dreaming, meaning intentionally interacting with that flow of the universe. Uh, your choice of words will sometimes dictate or really strongly influence your path. But this idea of impeccability itself also is a big, um, big one. And I don't know, you know, I, sometimes maybe it means be perfect. I think it has carries in the popular culture, you could tell me, but this idea of have integrity, be integrous, um, do your best. And that is, that does come through the origin of what Don Juan said, you know, you do your best and a bit more. He gave lots of different descriptions, you know, of what that is. We talked earlier about, you know, impeccability. Um, I mean, it comes from the idea not to miss the mark in the Latin, right? And then it turned into don't sin at a certain era of human, but it's sinning means miss the mark, miss the target, right? So impeccability also has to do with our intention, you know, <clears throat> and not being a victim <clears throat> and saying, you know, one of the languages and, and this can get, this can get into um, the, the kind of almost a caricature of the conscious spiritual person is we don't use the word try that's become so pervasive, but I think that partially comes out of, you know, be conscious of your language and your internal dialogue. The internal, the idea of an internal dialogue is, is one of the most pervasive that it's almost hard to see also, you know, and we need to, Carlos would talk about stopping the internal dialogue. Well, you can first be, first you want to be aware of the internal dialogue. And then there's the misinterpretation that silence means there is no no internal dialogue at all there's no and it's like maybe the dialogue about the fixation with the self 
is what we want to so put on the back burner, not have it at the forefront as something to really be taking seriously and acting out. You hear energy body a lot now. People use it with different meanings, but that's pretty pervasive, right? Um, so it can mean to some people the the our electromagnetic fields or the luminous sphere. The origin and you know for Don Juan's lineage is it's a separate sphere that can uh, goes into you know when we go to sleep and some part of us leaves it's that part the dreaming body or the energy body. Um, but some people use it for the energy fields around. Um, the energy body is also the part of you that when, if you have a deja vu experience, the energy body's already been there. It's already gone and checked it out like a scout. It'll, it'll usually go and check out places that we're planning to go. It'll, it'll check out the terrain, sniff it out for us. Um, but that's a term that they hear a lot. You might be thinking of others that, um, that seem one that you, I don't know. It's like, um, this idea of take responsibility for, I mean, that's become, I wouldn't say that only comes through Castaneda, but it's a big part of Castaneda is that you're going to take responsibility for your actions. You know, that, that, um, what you ex what you're experiencing is what you intended. And it's like, well, no, 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 I didn't want this, but some part of you unconscious is intending what you experience. Um, so coming to terms with that and working with that. And you, that's the beauty of being of now is you get to see how there's a lot of progress. And then there's a lot of things that maybe haven't caught on, or maybe there's different, some people are doing this and some people, some, some people aren't so interested and that's not their journey. So, but you see a lot of that, you know, we dream our world or we intend our world or we imagine it our experience well anything that strikes a chord at the at the level that, that this work has done is gonna have what carlos called um, people that are uh touching it it's sort of he would call it manque you know <laughs> the french word for sort of missing right there's and there you'll have imitators and any i you know you can see that in other traditions that you'll have people that are trying to misinterpret and misuse and it has nothing to do with what the message actually is right here's the here's the thing if you accumulate more energy and you've got more seasoning and awareness under your belt that doesn't make you impervious to anything and your fall is going to be much worse than if you were just kind of more of the turtle can you talk a bit about that that trade-off that sounds interesting that's part of the danger of something like this you know if we're really you know you have to distinguish carlos talked about personal power and our culture loves that word power i think Carl he wanted to call one of his books silent knowledge and his editor was like power of silence michael corda you know we, we got to talk about power you know and I think he wrote a book called Power, Michael Corda. It's very, very interesting. I mean, he was a brilliant uh, editor. But um, it tells you about the culture, you know. So what is power? And if we mistake 
like power for power over others or the quick fix, um, the, the, the shortcuts and all that, that's going to take you. It's really, I like your observations, you know, it's not sustainable. And so we're in some very unsustainable ways that we power things right now, you know? Um, so it's really about connecting with that greater intent and a greater consciousness. And Carol Teague's one of our teachers. She's like, the majority of consciousness is not human. You know, we're in this fabric of sentient awareness. If we start to in separate ourselves from that and put ourselves in the positions of takers, it's, it's a, it's going to be a short run, you know, um, we it has been relatively short run in human history and it, it's not, as we can see, sustainable. It's not working out and it doesn't work out interpersonally either. You know, we can use certain tools for, <clears throat> and, and we have to watch out to me. That's part of the vigilance. That's part of why I think it's called the warrior's way. What Carlos was taught, you know, that it takes a warrior in the sense of to be continuously checking your intent, not self-doubt, but that self-examination, and that's different. You know, it's not about, uh, it's it's just about, okay, let me check into my, my, my intentions, my motives. Um, let me check in. And you want to know what your traps are. You want to know, you know, call it know what you're capable of. Let's not do this little tea, you know, tea party thing of, oh, I could never do that. It's like, we're capable of all of it. You know, human form, human being, Seneca, I'm human, nothing human is alien to me, right? Um, and that's a much more interesting journey than, ah, you got caught out, let me take advantage of that. No, that's you also. Whoever you're around that just did X, Y, or Z, they're telling you that you got some shade of that to work on as well, you know? So that's a very different kind of power. And it's a power to choose. It's not really unlimited choices. It's I've got a certain, certain parameters and things I'm given. So I'm going to choose how I respond. And as one of my teachers said, I'm going to choose whether I, have a meltdown over it, or I find a way to work with it, you know, and work through and create something. And it's a power that has the potential to be much more sustainable. It's more sustainable and it's more universal. It's not local earth, temporary lifetime pseudo power. It's tapping into something a lot more vast. And, um, that's really, requ I think it's going to be required on a practical basis pretty soon for, you know, humanity. We're not, we can't stay local and, and, um, and self important in that way. It's not, it doesn't work, you know? And if we see exaggerated versions of that on the public stage, um, that's showing us something that holds up a mirror to us. You know, I'll keep it indirect like that. That's us, you know, cause I want to, 
you it's easy to get into sort of also the other side is the, the it, you know and i'm sure it's been said you know the minute that you think you're more enlightened than someone you've certain you've just proven that you're not and that's different from a teacher discerning hey i'm i'm further down the path than than this other person that's different but this idea that i'm better than that i'm above and and again there's a beautiful story i think it's in the separate reality one of the second books where carlos is watching these two little mexican boys um when at a restaurant and when people finish their meal the kids descend upon and eat the eat the crumbs and and then they wait for the next people and he's kind of pitying those bo them and don juan looks at him and says oh okay so you're better off than they are. And he goes, well, well I, you know, I have an education in this, that, and the other. Just, there's nothing that says they don't have a better chance at infinity than you do. So it's not about we don't care or you, you wouldn't be kind. It has nothing to do with that. But it's about this arrogance of assuming, and, and you see that on so many levels, right? This idea that my paradigm of what is healthy what's well-being of how things should be for you it's like who who are you look at the person first that goes back to reading energy too but take the time first it's just it takes time and attention and effort and practice anything that you want to do including perceive the energy of people um go look at them see what they want we have steve mcandrew i don't know if you ever met steve mcandrew he's a tensegrity practitioner he is he happened, he's a he's an MBE member of the British Empire now the queen uh, he would he's a he he um, he's an international Red Cross field relief director um, now he's head of the Americas I think um, but he was on you know he would go there was one mission in particular where he would have male interviewers going to interview female heads of households in their hut that's already culturally a no so they had to learn that and stop that and send in female interviewers then they would just be giving him what they thought they needed and they and the people would look kind of grumpy and then Steve was like he learns ask them what they need let them tell you what would help them you know and uh, that made a huge difference in the mission and the success of the mission, the people's trust of that institution, you know, all of that. It's a great example to me of how we we want to we want to help. We already know, you know. And so there's a practitioner who's willing to step back and go, wait a minute, this isn't really working, or listen to you know good advice about it. Well, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I'm coming from a tradition where the first movement that we introduced on the first public video was called helping the flow of immunity. You know, we have 12 movements to gather energy and well-being. And the first one is called immunization or helping the flow of immunity that involves, you know, moving and connecting the adrenals with the, some of the lymphatic, but it also has an energetic intent to it to boost your immunity. And to me, um, what is immunity? It would be something pretty timely for us, you know, where we are right now. So I've, I was playing with um, you know, immunity is a flow, helping the flow of immunity. It needs to be helped on a physical level, 
the lymphatic system is where the, you know, the blood is cleansed and, you know, white blood cells can come through all that. It needs to be helped. We can't just sit and, and that flows. It's not like the circulation or the breath. So we have to help that flow. We have to move, right? So part of our well-being, if you want to move your awareness, move, take a walk or do, you know, the practices that you do or do um, integrity movements or whatever it is that you do. And um, also it's a flow in terms of awareness. It's if we're stuck, you know, on one view or one viewpoint, it's not going to help our immune system. It's also discernment, you know, and Candace Pert, who was a biologist that was on the team that discovered the opiate receptor, she was really studying these neuropeptides, right? She called it molecules of emotion, and, and she's looking at um, immunity, and she was like, really, if we boil it down, the emotional correlation with what we see with high immune functioning is love, you know, caring, open heart. Um, so to me, that, that combination, if we're looking at what's going on now, there's a lot of different theories and there's, there can be a lot of fear, you know, also I'm working with like idea, the, the contrast of fear and love, right? In the art of dreaming, Carol Teague <clears throat> says, fear makes you run wildly. Love makes you move intelligently. Fear can put us in this high cortisol state that, um, we don't need to be in on a sustained level. That'll wear you out and it will wear down your immune system. And there's a lot of, you know, we're being bombarded with messages that could really jack up the fear and lower the immune system. There's some nice cat videos in there too and nice, good stories, beautiful stories of teachers who are doing amazing things to help the kids at home. But it's like, to me, we have to have discernment right now. Like, what what are you going to take in, and for how how much of your attention goes to things that you feel lowering your energy field or lowering your rising your fear level? And some of it is like, where, look at your fears. Where does that? What is? Where does that come from? What's a real animal fear? Like, hey, run over there because a boulder is about to fall. That's healthy, right? But the rest of it we have to work with that, look at it and breathe our way through that. So discernment, what comes in and also what goes out because you can also really lower your immune system. If you're putting out a lot of fear based stuff to people, even not about what's going on right now, you know, just as a teacher, as a facilitator, if I create lots of fear in the student, I'm also lowering my immune system. If I'm putting out words or putting out words of judgment, or even just thoughts, right? Our thoughts affect the environment. So to me, that's another hazard right now, energetically, that has to be conscious is like, I don't know about you, but there are days, some days you just, I start feeling this kind of edginess that doesn't even necessarily feel familiar and, or it just starts to feel kind of overwhelming. And I'm like, ah, I'm soaking up a lot of this fear energy that's out there. Some of it might be personally mine, otherwise it wouldn't probably hit me at all. But it's that discernment of what's mine and what isn't and sort of having the tools to clear out your field so you're not walking around with every 
with a collective fear. That's not helping anybody. You can have empathy, but if you're soaking it in and you drown too, who did you help? You know what I mean? So to me, those, those energetic tools and knowing not everything I'm feeling is always mine. So that discernment, you know, maybe not everybody will relate to that, but people who feel like they're empathic or whatever, they will. You know, I'm a sponge. I'll take it in and I'll start feeling angry with somebody that I only have, I have nothing to do with. It's not mine. So I don't want to, I don't want to take that on or take on, you know, be discerning what you look at. You don't just follow anything that anybody said in media or print, but neither do you have to get angry and righteous about it because that's also you, you know? So that's pretty, that's, that's, I think that's a pretty, that'll keep us busy keeping that clear, learning that discernment or refining that discernment, you know? And to me, it's, it's extra right now. It's like, we can't really, and also just on that physical level, are you, how's your nourishment? How's your movement? How's your sleep? Uh, personally for me, I'm like, uh, that, that has to go to another level because I don't want to be, there's no reason for me to really be getting, ill and then somebody resources will have to go to that i don't want to i don't want to be part of doing that it doesn't mean that people do it deliberately everybody's doing their best but i don't know i, I want to do my best to prevent that you know right and just maybe be more uh, helpful so on all those levels i have to take care of it and i think a lot of people are like okay i'll sacrifice myself to help these other people and you see workers here it's like that's not fair you should they don't need you know we don't need to be having sacrificial people they should you know we should be able to take care of our, ourselves so that we can actually be helpful or be of service in some way you know so thank you for letting me say that i wanted to get that out yeah it's fantastic uh, we might have to do a sequel in a, in a, in a two or three weeks or something and talk because we didn't even get to dreaming which is a shame, but that, that's how it goes. This sort of an interview puts a lot of things in context for people and they can get to know who you are. And if we do decide after some reflection in a couple of weeks to do an, another one about, say, specifically about the dreaming, which you know I would be interested in doing yeah. anyway, then we don't need to cover any of the context. You know, we can say, OK, if you want to know anything about, you know, about all of that, just go to that first interview. That's the brain dump on, on the biography. Um, here's the cool things about dreaming and we can be much more light on our feet. Uh, when it comes to then just, yes. you know, sticking to the thing. So I think it's been so interesting, so interesting. So Nae, what about your work these days? I know you do a lot of very fascinating work. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a sense of, of the things you're doing now and also how people can get in contact with you if they'd like to do so. Um, I have a, a writer's, it started as a writer's group, it became a writer's musicians group, and now it's I've got a visual artist in there, it's the Creation and Flow Creators Group. Um, you can find me at creationandflow.com. So the writers group is sort of the the entryway. Um, we work, you know, people present their work, and it's we do um, tensegrity movement, breath work, sometimes sound work, and things like like that. Um, and then check in, you know, accountability with each other and support, mutual support. 
and presenting our work. And to me, it's got it's under the aegis of um, our creative expression is vital to our well-being. So um, if we are um, not, you know, it, it's that merging of the energy body and physical body that we talked about. If we're not allowing that, it, it's going to kick us in some way. We can get physical illness or just agitated or other kinds of dysfunction. Um, so it's under the aegis of, well, just for the joy of it and the well-being. And also some, some members of the group are doing story or memoir as a way of reviewing their life. Um, that's a great way to do it. Um, so we have that. And I, and I also work with individual authors on, and sometimes musicians. Just if you're stuck in the creative flow, we can look at what that is. And I bring all those tools, you know, in to help help you get into flow, um, or help develop story, help develop conscious story. Um, it's, it's really an enjoyable process. You see, people get a lot of freedom, a lot of relief, even um, better health and things like that through that process. Um, I also do something called star mapping. Um, Another term is astrology. I think that term has a lot of connotations that star mapping would be, um, we look at where the planets are at birth and at other times and stars, but also um, a, a moment of connecting with those beings as conscious beings with their own distinct energies and all that. So um, you can connect with all of that at creationandflow.com. And I also do private work with people if they individually want to um, just move forward on any part of their life. Um, I specialize with creative expression, but I also love to work with people with other, other issues, coaching and practice. Um, and I do sound dreaming. I think for me, the easiest way to read another person's energy is through sound. If I'm playing a flute and I'm tuning in to your field, it's very clear. And so, and it helps them also. They'll either get creative ideas or tune in themselves. So I let them share what they saw and then I'll share what I saw. And that can be really valuable for people. So, and if they want to learn that, uh, go into the specific Tensegrity training, you do that with ClearGreen. Uh, and that's at castaneda.com. I'm currently on sabbatical there, but, um, you will find a lot of great resources there for the Tensegrity Movement and workshops and trainings. Nay Marez, thank you very much. Thank you, Steve James. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.